right. Let me pray. God, thanks for tonight. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for this family. I pray for a good season together. I pray that as we open your word, we talk about who you are, that it would fill us from the inside out and we would be different after being in this study. Um, God, I want to say start with me. Um, I want to be different after I have spent time with you, exalting you, loving on you. I want to be loved in return by you. Um, yeah, I just want, I want for us to be a little community of women who loves God and loves people with all our hearts. So that doesn't seem like a big order for you, so I'm just excited to see what you do. And in, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, total honesty tonight is that I'm not feeling super good, so I'm going to love you well from afar. Um, and what I was like, I'm not going to do is not teach tonight. So Satan tried, but like, he did not, he did not succeed. We're not going to do it. So, um, guys, tonight we're talking about the gospel. You may or may not know that. There's notes on your table. If you guys want to check them out, pull them out. It's got your scripture on it for tonight. Um, but before we start talking about the gospel, I want to talk about something even more relevant to today's world. How many of you guys have been keeping up, or do you keep up with the royal family of Britain? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. Yes. Um, has anybody seen The Crown? The, the, yeah, mm -hmm, yep, it's one of my, my favorite Netflix shows. And royalty is fascinating to us. And I say that as someone who um, comes from like an English line. My grandfather immigrated to Canada from England. So I have like British genes, like hearty British. I, we did the DNA test. I'm solidly British and Viking. Like there's no middle ground. <laughs> like there's no question about where this face comes from. Um, but I had this hope, you know like you have a secret, secret hope? Like, if you've got British in your lineage, then maybe somewhere back there there's, like, a duke or, like, a princeling or, like, a queen or something cool, right? So my uncle, who loves to do lineage and genealogy, he went all the way back. And the name that we're descended from is Peg, P-E-G-G. -G. And guys, I want you to know that I am descended from pig farmers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I am a solid peasant, and I do not mind saying that I am very disappointed by that. <laughs> but isn't it true that like, this is mostly Disney's fault, like Disney builds up this idea of what would it be like to marry a prince, am I right? Like we have the Disney princesses, I mean, are they back there? Yes, there they are, the Disney princesses. And um, we have even seen Kate and Meghan marry the two available princes in the royal family, so we know it's possible for some of us not for the peasants, such as I. Um, and then there's like a Broadway musical called Six lately about the wives of Henry VIII. If you guys don't know who Henry VIII was, I think we have a picture of him, yes. I don't know how that man pulled down six women like who wanted to be <laughs> like, with him because he was not a very nice man. He killed most of them. Yeah, so he was a very violent, I know he was a very violent king. So like the title of queen came with some problems, you know, like it came with some strings attached. It wasn't the Disney princess thing. So maybe I feel like we should be a little bit careful what we dream about. But I want to tell you guys the story of a prince tonight. So on your notes, there's a story that opens up in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. And you might be like, what in the world does a prince and the royal family of England have to do with the gospel? We'll get there, I promise. So I'm going to start reading it. Um, it says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. 
His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. That's a name. That is a name. Like, how do you even nickname that name? I was trying. I was like, what can I call him that would be cute? And I was like, nothing. There's nothing that sounds good or normal. It's just Mephibosheth. Um, so he's five years old in this story. If you guys don't know the backstory, Saul was king of Israel. He had a son named Jonathan. And then he had this guy named David who was in his royal armies. And he was like, he played music for the king. And he was best friends with Jonathan. But he was so popular that the, the country wanted to basically make him the next king. And so Saul started to chase him and fight him. And at the end of the day, David won that battle. And so Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. And that's where we pick up this story where this son is like, this nurse is running away with this little boy in her arms. Like she's just running for it, trying to save his life. But she tripped, he fell, and he lost his legs. So I had questions about that right away. I was like, all right, like I get right away that like you would be the political enemy of the current king, right? Like I get right away that this would be a no great situation for you, but what would it be like to not have use of your legs in the ancient Middle East? And so I looked it up and um, Aristotle was a few years past that, and his recommendation was that children born with disabilities be exposed to the elements to die. And I looked, like, culture after culture just said, like, kids with disabilities weren't valued, and if they had something wrong, they were often exposed, they weren't valued. It's like a brutal culture. So imagine being this kid who has no family now, he has no way to earn a living, he's not valued, and he's a political enemy of the king. Like, what kind of future does he have? What kind of life does he have growing up? I can think of a lot of things. Like, imagine where you're dependent on the people around you for your food. Fully dependent. And then imagine that people don't want to talk about maybe who you are. They may not want to get close to you in friendship because of who you come from. And he's an orphan. And what might it feel like to be an orphan? So I looked up the orphan mentality, which is something that I think is really interesting because I've seen it. I've seen it in, especially, I've seen it here in the United States, I've seen it overseas. When you have um, no family and you're kind of scrabbling and scraping for what you have, there are thought processes that come with that. So here's one. What if your orphan mentality is that you don't know where your next meal is coming from? What would that bring up in you? What if you're always looking for food? What if you don't know very much about your identity? What if you're not secure in who you are? What kind of life would that be if you are always wondering, like, who, who likes me, who doesn't like me? Am I, do I bring anything of value to the world? Your identity is shaken. Um, you have no family and no security about who will care for you. You can feel unloved or unlovely. And then there's more, there's like, you, I would imagine that you would strive and work really hard to earn worth, whatever that looks like. If the people that I know that have had orphan mentality or who've come out of orphan mentality are always working really hard to prove that they're valuable, that they bring something to the table. And I know that because I used to do that, guys. Just FYI. I used to have an orphan mentality and I would be like, oh, if I don't do X, Y, and Z and prove that I'm valuable, then, it, then my value is not there. It's not real. There's a fear-based life with that. It brings a lot of anxiety. And then you just live for the next moment instead of being able to plan ahead and think about, oh my goodness, like what about the next five years, right? 
People who are secure physically, emotionally, they're able to plan for the next five years. People who are not secure don't plan. They live for what's next. And it was so interesting because as I was reading this, I started to look up the words where it specifically it says lame. So if you guys want to underline in 2 Samuel 4, 4, underline the word disabled. That's often translated lame as well. That word is naka. I think I'm saying it right. I could be saying it wrong. But it means stricken and smitten and dejected. It means not only a lameness of the body, but of the soul. It's desperation, it's depression, it's sorrow. And he's, he's basically a beggar. He's a beggar and an enemy of the king. And this is who Mephibosheth is. So poor man, being a prince has not gotten him anywhere positive. But we're picking up his story again in Sam, 2 Samuel 9. David said, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Go ahead and box or circle or underline lame again. That is still the same word, naka. He, this man, he's not five years old anymore, he's now a man. He's still living in dejection and depression and sorrow. But a lot of time has passed. And David has been king for a while. And David was best friends with his father, Jonathan. But what do you guys see in verse three? What does David want to do? Does anybody see the important words in verse three? He wants to show God's kindness. God's kindness. That's so important, guys, because in human nature, like you would, you could even see this in today's royal families across the world, or even in governments, political enemies are not looked for to treat with God's kindness. Am I right? Political enemies are the enemy, and we treat them as such. But the love of God compelled David to ask, how can I be kind to a member of my, my enemy's family? So we're going to pick it back up in verse 4. Where is he, the king asked. And Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, at your service. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons, all right Ziba, and 20 servants. It's a big family. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
So guys, I want to give you a few minutes. That was a long passage. I want to give you guys some time to pull out what you think you see in that passage about God's kindness and what you think will happen from Mephibosheth. So I'm going to give you guys five to ten minutes, and I'll just start back up when we're ready to continue. Go ahead. Okay, guys. I'm going to bring us back together. I hope you guys had a really good, quick discussion. There are three things that I see here in verses 7 through 10. The first one is the invitation of David. He says, I want to find Mephibosheth, and then I want to bring him into my house. Right? And so... It says King David had him brought from where he was staying. And then David says, Mephibosheth, can you imagine? You think this man probably is going to kill you. And he's like, Mephibosheth. And you're like, yeah? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Stop me. You know, that would be a really scary, intense time. So, But the first thing that you see is that David invites him into his presence. He brings him from disgrace into the presence of the king. The second thing that you see is that David provides for his needs physically. The whole next part of the passage is this guy who has 15 kids um, who obviously needs work to do, right, to keep, <laughs> to keep from, like, proliferating the earth. But he was, like, he was like, you were Saul's steward. You know where everything is. You know all the lands that there were. I'm giving everything that Saul the king had to his grandson, who is my political enemy. That's a radical love. That's like an upside-down kingdom kind of moment. There are not very many times where you have a reason to be afraid of someone or to think that they might not want you to be alive anymore, where they're like, hey, actually, I'm going to give you everything that you deserve to inherit. That's a major God's kindness moment. And then he asks him at the end, it says, Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the Lord, my Lord the king commands his servant to do. And then it says, And Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. So it, if you look there, it says he always ate at the king's table where all of um, the king's sons ate. So he's got the same status as a member of the king's family. He's been adopted into the family. And I'm sure you guys are seeing the parallels to the gospel, right? For me, this, this season, this year, really, has been like discouraging. I don't know if you guys have felt that way. It's been hard for me to be a Christ follower because of lots of reasons. Lots of reasons. Mostly having to do with people's sin. Um, but I think we fall into this trap where we think, oh, like I'm good and I earn my place at the king's table, right? Or maybe we need to like work harder so that we get a better spot at the king's table maybe. Maybe we want to like sit down there and we're over here, right? But the thing about the invitation of God is that we receive grace from the king. We don't earn it and we can't lose it.
We're actually all Mephibosheth. We're actually all beggars. We actually bring nothing to God but our own very lame selves. And what he chooses to do with that is invite us to sit at his table as his loved child. And I needed to remember that for myself because I kept seeing like scandal after scandal in the news and I kept, you know, everybody's got an opinion about everything right now in the church. And I was like, what? where is the gospel? Where is the gospel? What are we doing? Are we allowing Jesus to be king? And actually I had to ask myself that question because if I walk away from the gospel because of what somebody else has done, then they have been my God. Jesus is my king. And I think we need to ground and root and plant ourselves back in that truth. And the gospel is not just for when we first get saved. It is not just for when we first get baptized. The gospel is the grace of God poured out on our lives every day in every situation that we go through. The story ends in verse 13 the way it started. I want you guys to underline where it says that he was laying in both feet. <clears throat> We start in 2 Samuel 4, he's lame. We end in Samuel 9, he's lame. His physical situation hasn't changed except that he's now adopted and loved. He's still lame. But the word there, I have no idea how to say it. I'm going to say Pisaic. I'm going to make it sound fancy. We're going to go Pisaic. Because the other way I don't want to say it, to be honest. <laughs> so it says physical handicap. It's just a physical handicap. The piece that is missing is the spiritual depression, the dejection, the sorrow, the I'm a dead dog piece of it. Mephibosheth is no longer an orphan. His future is secure. He doesn't have to live with an orphan mentality. And then from beginning to end of the story, what's the one thing that changed Mephibosheth's situation? It was the decision of the king. And so Mephibosheth's story is our story. Again, we don't bring anything to God. We can't do anything ourselves. Scripture calls us objects of wrath and enemies of God in our natural human state. And guys, we don't talk about that enough. Like, I'm all for, I'm all for, like, self-care and self-love and all of the things because we are created in the image of God and we have value and worth and all of that. At the same time, without Jesus, we are by nature objects of wrath because of our sin. We need the invitation. We need that invitation. And the good news is that the gospel tells us the same thing that Ziba went to tell Mephibosheth. We are invited, our future is secure, and we've been adopted, and we cannot lose it. I don't know about you guys, but I think that's pretty amazing. And I'm not going to say, like, oh my gosh, one day I was sitting meditating on this truth, and like it, everything just lifted. I still have days where I struggle especially working for a church in 2022, I have days where I struggle. But the thing is, is that the gospel is not a lifestyle, and we've made it a lifestyle. The gospel is not a lifestyle. The gospel is obedience to the king. That's what it is. It's accepting the invitation, and it's giving all of our life to the one who's invited us in. He's not an Instagram quote, and we're invited to live as his daughters and then his representatives. So if we view Jesus as an Instagram quote, that's how we're going to live our lives. If we view him as a part of our life, not our whole life, that's how we're going to live our lives. So who's king of our lives? Are, are we orphans? Are we kingless? 
Are we our own gods? Are we adopted, but living like an orphan? Because that's possible too. It's easy to get lost in the noise of everything that's going on. Guys, it's so noisy. Am I the only one who thinks that? It is so noisy in the world. There's relationships, there's the news, there's this thing and that thing and work and life and kids and all of that is good, not bad. It's part of who we are as human beings, but it's not the main thing. I'm gonna read you guys Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. I was asking myself, what's the disconnect? When I see leaders and pastors and people of authority in the church who have fallen on their face and screwed it up really bad. I'm just asking the question, like, where's the disconnect for them? And I think it's that we start to think that we earn our place at the table, and we stop asking for help in time of need. And I want all of us to know that we can 100%, when we are struggling, it's not wrong to struggle. When we are like, what in the world am I doing right now, God? Like, our number one thing to do is open up that prayer and go straight to the throne because our dad wants to talk to us. And then I took it one more step further. And I was reading out of John 6, 67 and 69. I think I have that one up there, baby. So a whole bunch of Jesus' disciples have just been talking, and he's been preaching, and they asked him a question, and they were like, oh, that's too hard, I can't follow you, so they leave. Um, so Jesus asks the twelve, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's kind of where I'm at today, guys, just being really honest with you. And that's where I want us to move forward from. Where do we go if it's not Jesus? What else can satisfy the soul if it's not Jesus? Where else do we find wisdom and strength and courage for the life that we live and the things we encounter and the really hard situations that are really hard? We have to go to the king. Um, I read a story today, or yesterday actually. Um, it was about a man in Haiti. And it's a true story. It was in 2017, he was walking down the street. He goes to college in Texas and he saw a bunch of people gathered around a trash can and he was like, weird, what are they looking at? So he stops and he looks in the trash can and he sees a four month old baby. So he picks the baby up and he takes the baby home. And the baby has been living with his mom while he's been supporting them and going to school here in the States. And he's five years old now and he wants to adopt the baby and make him his son. And I think it's such a beautiful picture. Again, we have nothing. We bring nothing to the table, which is the really hard news to accept because we're prideful. But it's also the best news, you guys, because we cannot lose the grace of God. We can't. We can make mistakes and we can go to the king with them. We can screw it up, we cannot know what to do, and we can go to the king with it. And our good father invites us to come. He says, I understand what you're going through. Let me provide for you. Let me show you the way. You're adopted. You're secure. So the question for you guys tonight, there's only one. The question is, is where are you guys at? It's on your, on your paper. 
Do you see yourself as the orphan, the daughter, the daughter with an orphan mentality? There's no wrong answer. It's okay. It's literally okay to be wherever you are. Because that's how we have to come. We have to come like Mephibosheth, laying in both feet and being like, yo, I am not it. And we're still invited in. So I'm going to give you guys 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, and then I'll come up here and close us. All right? Go ahead.